Hello, this is Dan Dugan. I'm a family advisor with a Dugan LLC. And I, if you want to improve your communication skills, you need to be listening to the Art of Communication podcast and Greg Rice. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Art of Communication podcast. Today, I got to interview Ann Dugan. Now, Ann is a fourth generation member of her family's business, which is a large building and supply company. She's also a very renowned consultant and advisor, specifically helping family-owned businesses succeed. And she was the founder and executive director of the Institute for Entrepreneurial Excellence at the University of Pittsburgh. So Anne talked about her experience being raised in a family-owned business when she's the fourth generation of that family and what she learned along the way. We talk about the unique communication and leadership challenges that family businesses face and, and how to overcome those. And we even got into the hot topic of how to best handle it when you have to let a family member go because they're just not a good fit for the company and the strategy. So Anne knows more about the nuances of family-owned businesses and entrepreneurship than anyone that I know. And this is just a can't-miss episode if you're associated in any way with a family-owned business. Anne, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here at a very important topic. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And I'm super excited to kind of dive into your depth of expertise around family-owned businesses, franchising, and kind of the unique communication dynamics that those bring. But I'd love to just get started by hearing a little bit about how you got into the family business side of things. I know that you were raised in a family business, so I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Absolutely. And so I'm a fourth generation member of a family business who own, uh, who are involved with lumber and building supply uh, and real estate in the southeast of Georgia. Uh, my mother is third generation and, and uh, it came through her side of the family. And, you know, growing up and uh, if your family owns a business, regardless of your role in that business, it's, it permeates all parts of life. And so, um, you know, whether it's the kitchen table or, you know, hearing things about the company, you know, there's always that infusion of things because you own it and you're part of it. And it's not just, you know, our nine to five job. So it, it permeates any family. Um, and so growing up in it, you begin to understand what makes you different than others as you go forward. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I know that one particular challenge in family-owned businesses is that generational shift, right? Like, like it doesn't always go well from one generation to the next. Either maybe the younger generation doesn't want it or the younger generation doesn't take the same um, approach or doesn't have the same passion for it, right? So tell me a little bit about that as a challenge and, and how you see family businesses overcoming that. I think it's really rooted in the, in the uh, overall theme of this discussion, that is communication. So yes, there's lots of, you know, research out there that says, oh, you know, um, businesses uh, don't last, you know, the first generation builds it, the second generation sort of, you know, maintains it or bleeds it in the third generation, you know, uh, it closes. So 
you know, it's shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And that's a, actually, it's an international saying. Almost every language has that, you know, whether it's, you know, Chinese or Japanese or, okay. you know, French, whatever. And, and part of that is preparation. And preparation needs to have about communication. And so starting out with good communication, you know, where the business is not like this darn thing that takes up all of our time and monopolizes our holidays or our holidays dinners or you know our time together is part of it so having it be a positive opportunity for the family is part of you know making sure that whether a family member wants to be part of the family business or not there's lots of other roles you you know you can think about okay everybody's going to be an owner because of your birthright or some of you will be owners based upon if you're employed in the company okay you're employed in the company so now you're prepared to be employed in the company it's just not an entitlement that you get a job in a in a corner office because you're in the family and so again i think it's it's totally preparation that helps that happen and I'll say that over the my 30 years in this industry that in as a consultant what I found is over the last 10 years especially you know families have really started to do much more planning and communication around that you know 30 years ago not only in my family but other families it's like don't talk about it you know that uh, we don't want anybody to know our numbers or know what's happening so they can find out later when I'm dead and gone or, you know, they can find mm -hmm. out when the time is right instead of starting early. And and so part of that has been like sort of that that early generation, which a lot of them were created, you know, let's just say between 1900 and, and 1950, they grew up on secrecy. Keep it to yourself. Don't talk to anybody about it until you have to. And that's all changed today, and especially in the last 10 years, because people would say, well, who's your biggest com competitor in helping family businesses? And, you know, 10 years ago, I would say Wall Street, because there was a lot of roll-ups, you know, a lot of mm -hmm. equity money out there, a lot of, um, you know, private investors that said, okay, if we put together five of those, whatever that is, you know, we can really run those efficiently. We can do so many good things that the family, you know, who are in app can't do. And even Wall Street began to find out that, you know, that family has a presence in their community. They're infused in the community. So you coming in from New York or Chicago or, you know, LA or whatever, doesn't mean that you're gonna run a business well in Kentucky or Alabama or Pennsylvania or Georgia. And so, um, so that those multiples, I mean, the families, I give them a lot of credit because they would look at what, you know, private equity and, and others were willing to offer for their company. And, and a lot of times it was cash buyout and they went for it and they said, great. And, um, and then afterwards had some kind of seller remorse because they could see that not only is it being moved out of their town, but even how it's been, you know, it's being managed or run is not how they or their um, ancestors would have wanted it to happen. And so now with the last, you know, I'll say 10 years, families have said, you know, let's not look at Wall Street as being the only, uh, or private equity is the only opportunity for us in the family. It could be in the next generation. Let's do a better job of preparing them early, getting ready for it. And that's exactly what happened. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a refreshing uh, view. Doesn't mean that everybody is appropriate for employment in the family business. It doesn't mean that everybody is uh, good owners. All of that you know, takes time to evaluate and think about as a family and devote the time for it. Um, I had a very influential family 
uh, in the NFL uh, tell me a few years ago, boy, I've really realized that family building is as important, if not more important than business building, if we have a vision to keep our, our business in the family for a long time to come. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, I assume that those conversations can be difficult at times, right? Thinking about how do we, um, how do we understand what each member in the family is good at, right? How should they be involved in the business? How should we train them? But also, you know, what, where do their desires and passions lie? And when those things contradict, like one of the kids wants to become CEO, but he's not really, he doesn't have the talent necessarily to do that. I assume those conversations become pretty difficult at times. Well, they do, and they need to start early because at the end of the day, you know, you might have five children and each one of them think they're ideally positioned to be the CEO one day when, you know, you retire as the, the current leader of the family business. And part of it is to really think about what is the career path to get there? You know, in your business and most non-family businesses, you know what the career path is to get to the C-suite and then to get to CEO level and what are the measurements and and metrics for success and how do we set goals so a lot of that has to happen it takes it puts the business in the business and takes the emotionality out of it a few years ago a real popular uh, thing in family businesses were, were to have succession where okay i have two children each of you will be ceo for five years and you'll just rotate and rotate business doesn't work that way business yeah. needs you know, a process and it needs a leader and it's not a rotating chair. Um, and so those are things that I think are really have changed and are important that it's not who becomes CEO, but more, how are you performing in the company? How did you prepare to enter the business? And I had a business not too long ago that told me, you know, in 1960, we put together an agreement that said everybody in the family that wants a job in the business can have one for one year. And if you perform well, then you can stay. The problem became as the family grew, because all families grow, that now they had a whole lot of people that, and you had to go to college too, so it was after college graduation, that all wanted jobs. But you know the family business is not big enough to have all these people in jobs that they're either not prepared for or they have to learn on the job. So that becomes expensive especially in a in a price sensitive industry where you have a whole year of maybe not or i don't want to say non-producing you know value-added weight but you have those that are performing you know less or more than the others so i think having the idea of what, what is it that we have to do to prepare for this what's open or needed based upon the strategic plan of the business and then how will we measure success at steps along the way. That way you're not doing what I had happened to me where a mother came to me and said, oh, our son's finally moved home and he's now in the family business and we're so excited to have him there, but he's miserable. And I said, well, tell me about your son. What's he doing in the family business? And she said, well, he's in the accounting department because we really needed somebody in accounting. And I said, but if I remember correctly, your son was really building a theater career. He was involved with local theaters and then went off to college and got a degree in the arts. And then he had you know, some part-time you know, stock you know, roles or positions at, at summer theater and so forth. And he's in the accounting department. It really doesn't match the behavioral characteristics there. And so taking a look at whether you do a 365, if they're in there or some of the disc profiles 
you know, the behavioral profile systems there. There's one that I really, that's easy to do. Sally Hogshead, you know, has um, several online that just get to, what are the things that you're really strong at? And it's not a title or a position, uh, but it's more like, what do you like to do? Well, this family did some of that and found, and really started to realize that, hey, we could really use him in sales. And that's where he was moved and he excelled. People, personality, you know, just a gregarious, outgoing, all the characteristics that you would have in, in a salesperson, a customer relation person versus the accounting department. So I think there's a lot of things family can do to uh, look at the, the person, their interests, their skills, and then start to look at what the company needs based upon the strategic plan for the next, you know, three to five years. Yeah, for sure. I think linking, you know, personalities and interests with your role is critical, obviously, to, for you to mm -hmm. succeed in family businesses and non-family businesses. I think there's a lot of people put in roles that aren't necessarily good fits for them, even outside of family-owned businesses, you know, in a regular um, corporate scenario. So that, that that's really interesting, I think, important. Um, I'm definitely going to check out Sally Hogshead stuff because that, that name's not necessarily familiar to me, so I haven't checked out her personality profile things. But all the personality, different types of tests and things really fascinate me, so I like digging into those. Yeah, she's it, it, hers is unique. It's more like how to. It's called how to fascinate, but it's it. She mm -hmm. has a number of different tests. But I think you know, again, family businesses have limited time too, and mm -hmm. so some of some of the time is like let's get this done, let's get in, and let's get get out. A three sixty obviously takes a lot more time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and I, I think part of the key to what you were explaining there is also making sure that you're building those frameworks ahead of time. Like it can't be when Anne comes to me, I start to figure this out because then, then Anne probably feels like it's starting to be personal about her and I'm not, you know, I don't want her in this role. So I'm forcing her into that role. But if we have a framework from the time the kids are young and we're always talking about that and they know this is the process, if you want to work in the business that they have to go through, then it becomes a lot easier conversation to have, I think. Absolutely. And you know, this is business. And so if you think about it, like your child might really like sports or they might like, um, you know, the theater or other kinds of things, you're going to encourage them in that way to, to explore earlier and earlier ages. You know, I look at some of the families that I've interacted with where their children are, you know, doing entrepreneurial things, being exposed to entrepreneurial things at an early age, because that's business, you know, whether it's the lemonade stand or it's, you know, learning a budget or how to manage their allowance or, you know, things like that, that they're doing at very early ages. And then by, you know, 12, 13, 14, they're learning, they might be involved in the family business in some way. In the old days, you know, the families would bring them in to do the mailings at Christmas time, you know, put the stamps on the envelopes and the cards in the envelopes. Nowadays, there's other kinds of things where young people are getting involved in, you know, uh, revising or improving the website or other kinds of, you know, IT things that maybe um, the family doesn't have the resources to have full-time people in there doing. One of the things that I think is really interesting that I've had a number of families do is Shark Tank, where they'll watch a Shark Tank episode and then over dinner, you know, they're talking about not that same night, but maybe the next night or after the Shark Tank, you know, looking at one episode or one entrepreneurial venture. What did you like about it and what you what you didn't? And it's there's no right or wrong answers there. I mean, the sharks, you know, they either invest or don't. But for the family, it's learning. They're learning about marketing and human resources and, you know, debt financing and all, you know, growth and all those things. So I think that's like sort of fun, you know, business training 
uh, should one of your, you know, next generation or as a family, you're planning to get them involved in a, the business. That's really interesting. Yeah. And uh, both my boys love Shark Tank. <laughs> so they love that. <laughs> there you go. I can't they say I've loved, taking over your business. Yeah. I haven't leveraged it as a, as a model for discussion around business concepts, but that's definitely interesting. Um, I want to start mm -hmm. asking them what they think about this, what they think about that. That's pretty cool. So what other uh, unique communication challenges do family run businesses face that maybe regular businesses that aren't family run don't face? Well, I think again, it's having a process to start to introduce them to the business information itself. You know, again, no entitlement, you know, no, this someday this is all going to be yours. You know, uh, you know, someday you're going to be the boss of all these people. It's really an education, thoughtful education, maybe taking them to industry shows and conferences uh, where they're starting to learn the nuances of the industry. There's other things that, that are happening that you can expose them to, like the Ernst & Young, the, the EOY, you know, Entrepreneur of the Year programs are always interesting. And I, you know, I'll use one example there is um, uh, one year I was there at, at the conference and at my table, were that was the whole family of um, the GoPro family. You know, a young man with his wife had created GoPro. He had, she, she was pregnant with, I think their third or fourth child. And they had three young children there listening to the stories of all these entrepreneurs that would be up there talking about how I started my business and what I did. And I thought to myself, you know, here's, and that was in like probably the first, you know, three or four years of GoPro and now who doesn't know what a GoPro is. Yeah. And so I think those are, those are things, early exposure, not only to industry, but, you know, going to a rotary or, you know, a chamber of commerce event or a university event where you're, you're with other entrepreneurs, I think is important at certain ages, especially as they head to that 18 to 22. And when they're in college, what are the entrepreneur clubs? What are the things happening there? Or if they go to a trade school, you know, thinking more on the innovation side of things, you know, what do we have that we could do better? So I, I think being open to those ideas through the family meeting process is always good. And then the other part of that would be, you know, let's just say, typically, families start to share financial data. In the beginning, it might be 18, 19 years old, where you're sh sharing financial data as a percent of sales. So, it, you know, our cost of goods is 35%, our labor is 20%. You know, here's how at the end of, you know, that dollar that we actually have money for profit and, and shareholders uh, distribution, but also for um, investment and growth in our company. And so having those basic financial information. So assuming, again, that they have had an allowance and know how to, you know, manage their money, make buying decisions. I mean, I love it today. I get these you know, young people that are, they have their allowance and they're on Amazon buying, you know, whatever it is they saved up for. They don't have to get a ride to the store like the old days, mm -hmm. uh, but they learn to save and make allocation decisions. So all that's part of it. And then I think by the time you're a couple of years out of college, you know, you're really understanding that you might even be part of the strategic planning process with your family business, sitting in, adding value, regardless of whether you work there or not, you're listening and part of it. And a key criteria, you know, I would say in all of this is at some point that family, especially if they're looking at being a multi-generational family in the future, is you have at least a, an advisory board of directors. You know, some families will say to me, oh, we can't put a board of directors together. That's scary. You know, they'll tell us what to do. Maybe they'll try to sell the company. So I'm like, okay, start with a kitchen table. 
you know, advisory group and maybe then move to an advisory board and, and don't have it be your, you know, insurance agent and your banker and your CPA and your attorney. Those are professionals that can be part of the meeting, but they, you buy their advice on your board. You're having, you know, people that will really add value, uh, whether it's an advisory board or whatever, that will add value to what your growth plans are. Maybe they have experience in a family business where they brought in the next generation in a good way. You know, those kinds of things are important uh, along the way as you think through those critical moments. So that by the time that person is really 25, 26, there's decisions being made of their role in the business, short-term and long-term, is they build up. Um, and again, it's because they have a passion, an interest, a commitment, and a knowledge, or even a, 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 you know, a desire to learn even more into the future about that industry and that business. So you can see that then. And if you don't see it, don't try to put a square peg in a round hole because nobody's happy. Let, yeah. Help them find something in their life that makes uh, them excited and start to look at your employees and your, your, you know, your leadership, your management and say, hey, one of them might be, you know, very, very interested and mm -hmm. um, not necessarily going to ownership right away, but, you know, management and leadership. Yeah, developing a, a succession plan, maybe outside of your family with, with the other leaders in the company. Right. You might be keeping ownership within the family, but you have, you know, a process where you have that management and leadership that have, you know, whether it's phantom stock or some kind of bonuses or commission or in growing the business and start out, you know, start out small and, and see how it goes because no one in the family is ready or willing, but you want to keep ownership in the family. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a different thought, but a related thought that I assume we've kind of covered the answer for, right? But when a family member is not performing and you have to fire them, right? I assume that all goes back to, we have to have a framework in place. So it's clear to everybody, you're not performing, so you're going to get fired, right? But I assume that's a really difficult conversation to have. <laughs> Very difficult conversation to have. And it's a good question because many families will avoid it. So everybody stays miserable. You know, the family member who knows they're not performing is there because they're a family member. So their self-esteem is going right down the tube. Um, the leaders around them, you know, maybe their supervisor or their other colleagues that they work with, they're always going like, yeah, you know, we really need somebody that can perform in this position, but because you're family, you're getting a hall pass and you're staying, you know, so nobody wins in that situation. But again, going back to your comment, you need a process. So it starts early by saying, we're gonna have annual valuations. You know, we're gonna be able to say, here's the, here's the plan for what your, your goals are for your position. And you know, building it with that person together, there's a job description of some sorts. Many families go, oh, we're not that bureaucratic, we don't put them together. And I'm like, okay, at least put something down in writing that everybody agrees to, this is your job and what you're gonna do. Here's who you report to, and here's how we're gonna at least annually evaluate your performance. So again, bad performance is no surprise. So that at the end of the day, maybe it's, it takes a couple of years or even it takes four quarters to find out you're just the wrong person for this job and your performance is not there. So we're going to, as, as a family leader told me, you know, uh, a long time ago is we have a hard head. It's about our business. We need performance. We need everybody here rowing hard, but we have a soft heart. So your exit is going to be 
you know, carefully orchestrated so that it's, you know, you're, we're able to help you find what's next in your life. You know, maybe there's an exit coach or someone to help, you know, with the bio and that kind of thing so that the exit is not public. It's done, um, you know, that let's say Greg or Anne has decided to, you know, um, find something else in their life that is more suitable to their interests, that kind of thing. But, you know, Greg and Ann, who were just fired, so to speak, we know that, you know, it wasn't right and, you know, we're out the door, but it's done in a very soft, hard, graceful manner. Very important with a family. No surprises, no gang up on that person, but, you know, you can't stay if, it, if you're not performing because it's not good for anybody in the long run. Yeah, for sure. It's just brought up another topic in my head that often if a family member is starting the company or, you know, they're working their way through, they're reporting to folks who aren't family members, which puts that individual who's their manager in a bit of a challenging position unless, again, things are communicated and there's a clear framework. So I assume you've seen some touchy situations like that before as well. Oh, yeah. And it's it's definitely, again, goes to the negative situation because that supervisor has to feel that, I can be honest in my criticism and my, um, you know, my direction of that family member. And so, and it's not going to impact my career. So that means that the leaders, the family leaders, you know, above that supervisor are clear. Here's the job description. Here's the goal. Here's how we're going to measure success and we're going to support you. You know, we want it to be in a non-emotional way, you know, it can't be that I just don't like Anne. It has to be that Anne is not performing along these ways because we all have personality likes and dislikes, mm -hmm. uh, but that supervisor has to feel supported. Otherwise, they're going to just jump into the bandwagon and be part of the mediocrity and, and not challenge the family either. And then you, you wonder why the family business is not, you know, continuing to thrive and grow. It's, you know, complacent and you know, things are not moving as they should. For sure, for sure. So a bit of a different topic. How does a family who owns a business, how do they keep it separated between business and family? So it's not always about business, you know? Very important question because, you know, going back to we have to build a family too. And so if, the, if there really is no family, it's only a business. And so the family stay together because it's a business that they own together and provides them, you know, some kind of, you know, return. It's not, it's not for the long term. It doesn't last. It's not for the long term. And so part of that has to be, you know, at the end of the day, how do we really, um, plan for our family to get to know each other if, especially if you're moving into the second generation chances are they're siblings and so they grew up with the same parents or the same household for a lot of their life so they know each other's nuances and i always say you know you know what buttons to push because you know greg and i were in the sandbox together and i know what really bothers greg so mm -hmm. now i'm vice president of purchasing and he's vice president of sales and i really want to get him going i'm pushing that button which can really, again, be a detriment to everybody because there isn't uh, the plan. The plan is always, you know, what are the three goals for 2021 that we should have in place really by, you know, the end of October, beginning of November, because now we need to do the budget so that we, we go into January 1st, 2021, which everybody knows is going to be an incredibly different year mm -hmm. than it has been with, with the pandemic and COVID and restart of our, not only our economy, but the world, hopefully. And so you, you look at all of that and you go, okay, um, so now you have 
cousins, which is the third generation, they didn't grow up in the same household. And guess what? They had another spouse, i.e. their mother or dad, who came from another family, you know, and they have a different value set. They might have a different approach to money, a different approach to business. And so now how do we start as siblings at an early age to, okay, we've got our spouse, you know, we married and we had children and our spouse at the sibling time got into the, the, you know, the play that we own a business together. It's important, you know, we need to be part of things. We need to have regular family meetings and, you know, bring everybody together. But now when you have cousins, the earlier you can start is the better. And I have families that will have a family vacation or they'll have a family retreat once a year. So now all the, the uh, cousins are in the swimming pool together at three and four and five, you know, getting to know each other. And part of it is not to talk about the business, but thinking in the future, if we remain a family held business, it's hard to do this with strangers. So getting to that is, is really important. And then as you move forward, you have good governance uh, systems in place. So that, that becomes, it's not about whose kids can enter the business. It's how we have our employment policy in place. And here's how you prepare for the, you know, entry. And here's how you're in your job and that kind of thing. So policies are really important there. And I think that the last part of that is, you know, being clear and transparent, you know, having, you know, one role for let's, you know, I'll use, you know, Greg's branch of the family, you know, we're siblings. So there's one role for Greg's branch of the family and there's a different roles for Anne's branch of the family, that doesn't work because we have, even though we're siblings, we have spouses, we have, you know, children who are cousins. So everybody needs to be understanding how that works. And that takes time to get there. So you really block out social time, family building time, and then as appropriate, you move into the, the um, in the business knowledge time. So knowing what's what, but you need both. You need the family social time with getting to know each other. I'll give one quick story. And then as I have a family now that I've shared this with a number of people where they have an onboarding process for fiancés because they want that fiancé to know, okay, we are a family who own a business and maybe own other things. Usually after the business is successful for a number of years, that family starts to own real estate together and other things. And so all of a sudden, you have those things going on. So they have a fiance coaching program. It doesn't mean they're showing the fiance the financial statements of the business, you know, day one, but that person is learning not from the mother-in-law or father-in-law for the future, but from maybe an uncle or aunt or a cousin. Here's how our family is. Here's our, the values of our family. Here's how we work. Here's where we have challenges. You know, but we're continuing to work those challenges and they feel part of things. And then obviously after the marriage and further on, you know, they learn more and more about it. But inclusion of spouses as appropriate is important, uh, whether it's just from a knowledge base or it's, you know, part of everything. You know, don't leave them out because they're going to be, guess what, keepers of the next generation if hopefully uh, or 50 percent keeper of the next generation if we have if they have children. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've never heard of that before, right? And you're really signing up for a lot there when you're proposing. And <laughs> you know that before you propose, but that's that's a pretty cool concept. I like that. So as you were talking, I started getting curious if family-owned businesses sometimes struggle with diversity, especially in the leadership ranks and getting diverse opinion, right? Because you end up with potentially a lot of leaders sitting around the table who all grew up in the same family. 
True, and and you and and that goes back to that idea of the of the strategic plan. What are we trying to accomplish? You know, what are our goals? And then we're and then who's bringing you know that value add to the table or learning? And so whether it's the leadership group or having a family council or a family group, they're saying, you know, we really need to go out and learn about these things and broaden our horizons so that we're not just stuck into this thinking of we've always done it this way, so we'll be fine. And I'll, I'll, I'll just say in the last six months, I see more and more of this. The pandemic and, and COVID has changed a lot of the world where people are going like, okay, this is what we've done. This is our market. This is how we access our market. And guess what? The market can't come to us anymore and we can't go to them. So we have to learn more about, you know, the internet and webinars and what's on our website and how do we, you know, offer our products and services through our web in a different kind of way. And so some families were caught totally you know, it's like a family member told me in uh, February that last year I wanted to improve our CRM system and 90% of our family said, what the heck is a CRM system? <laughs> you know, because again, they were much more closeted and, you know, this is how we've always done things and we don't need to change. So I think those are the things that you see uh, dynamic families thinking ahead and thinking how we're, we're going to do these things in a different way. How do we think about innovation? And, and what should we be thinking about for our own organization, our family business? And oftentimes it can't be a spouse or someone else that you invite to be on your advisory board. Um, and often it can be, you know, an employee who's really a star and on family and has been moving up. They have to be respected and listened to. But obviously the family sitting around gazing at belly buttons, you know, and not looking outside is not a good thing to to you know, promote the growth and vitality of the business forward. Yeah, really interesting question to dive into. So just a few more questions I have for you that I like to ask everybody who I have on the show. The first one is around the power of conversation. So I'm a big believer that just one conversation can change your life. And I always like to ask the guests that are on my show, if there's one conversation you can point to that had a really big impact on you. I think that early on, at some point, you know, I, you know, being 50% from the South, I'll say, we are talkers. I mean, we really talk a lot and that's not any big prejudicial there. It's just my family. We talk. And, and I think that at some point early on, I had a conversation with several people that said, listening is really a good skill. Part of the conversation is really uh, listening and, and really not trying to um, and, and the lessons that I learned around the way are don't try to plan your response, actually listen, and then start to have this dialogue. A good discussions and communication take questions. You know, it's not having the immediate solution. It's going to question. So I think that was a, a good early conversation with me that changed my approach to many things that I do, you know, many, many years later. Very cool. And and I, I, I still appreciate the person that had that conversation with me. Yeah, yeah, and a great communication lesson, right? The best way to communicate is to listen, for sure. Mm -hmm. So second question, as you think about all that you've accomplished, if you could have had one communication skill in more abundance that would have made it all a lot easier, what would that have been? That, that's great. That's a great question. And, you know, the first thing that I think of when you ask that is, is uh, trust but verify, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> I think that that I'm a very trusting person and my family are trusting. And I, I think the one thing that I 
missed out on was understanding that some people are just devious. Some people have hidden agendas and uh, passive aggressive. And so I've learned, you know, uh, much better through the years to really reiterate, you know, what, the, what I just heard. This is what I've said. This is what you've said. This is what we've agreed to. And then as I tell families, even today, follow up with an email, you know, that is, you know, recapping, this is what we've agreed to. And I think those, that was something that if I had learned that earlier, that, that not everybody is as trustful. I, I don't want to be a non-trusting person. I mean, I, I really would rather err on the side of trusting but there are times that, you know, using, you know, President Reagan's example, trust but verify is a good thing to have. And it doesn't mean that you're a skeptic or you're non-trusting, but you need at certain times to do that and, and recognize that this is a time. Great advice, especially if you're leading companies and making big financial decisions. Um, it's certainly, certainly important. So last question for you, who is the best communicator that you know, either know of or know personally, you don't have to necessarily know them. And why do you say that about them? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I could go back to, you know, there's some leaders out there that I think are really, really good communicators. In my personal, you know, world, I would, I, I don't have a, a name that comes off because I think all of us in my family have learned and continue to learn the skill of listening. Um, because we're big talkers. And I think most families will say, oh, yeah, we get into that Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, everybody's trying to, you know, um, monopolize the conversation. So I would say that in terms of just from the persona, there's some really great leaders out there. To myself, I look at TED Talks uh, often, you know, and I tell people, you know, you're in your car, you're, you're driving a long distance, you know, listen to an audible book or a TED talk, just listen. And you don't have to watch it, but think about the key points that that person was getting across and how they got across as a good communicator. I think in terms of a name, you know, uh, President Reagan, Ronald Reagan was a great communicator. Um, you know, he had empathy, he had emotion, uh, he had sincerity, and he really was, you know, a good listener in many ways, as you could see some of the things that he's done a long time and that's why he had you know great success along the way but there's others out there uh indira you know pepsico you know great um you know order as well as you know listener um so there there's a number of them but i think that it's the ones that i see the combination of those skills yeah very cool very cool so where can folks find what you're up to where can they connect with you where can they learn more about the great work that you do for family-owned businesses so I, I'm actually, um, you know, over, over the last couple of years, I've been working out of Chicago with the Family Office Exchange. And in uh, July 1st, I stepped down from my position there to, uh, I needed to have some flexibility in my schedule. So I'm still very affiliated with the Family Office Exchange. And, it, you know, it's called Fox, F-O-X. So if anyone wants to find it online, a very, you know, dynamic group of family offices, family enterprise, family foundations that are part of our uh, membership organization there. But I, I'm here in Pittsburgh and I have my own professional practice again, once again, um, that is, um, you can reach me at A Dugan LLC uh, is a good place to, to, to look for me. Uh, LinkedIn is also, you know, all my contact information is there with my um, email, but my email is easy. It's Ann, A-N-N, at a dugan llc.com perfect 
Perfect. We'll definitely reach out if you're a family-owned business and you're struggling with any of the issues that we talked about today. But, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, I thought it was tremendous advice for anybody in the family or really any kind of business. So I appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise with us. You're quite welcome. And I appreciate the opportunity because family businesses in my, from my perspective are the lifeblood of our country. And the more that any of us can do to not only support and help them, but also buy from them, you know, visit them, you know, do the things that you can do with your, your pocketbook or wallet as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the Communication Nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.